0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning and for being a part of this reopening. Everybody online, thank you for being a part of this reopening. Last week was a success. And so thank you all for just being cool about uh, reopening our church to, to public worship uh, it's been an adventure, to say the least, and, and we just thank you for all coming along in this journey. For those online that are joining us, thank you for being a part. You are a part, and I promise you that. You will not be forgotten. You're still a part of this church family, and we thank you for taking responsibility of your own risk determination in this hour and doing what's what's best for you. We honor that. And for all those here this morning that are actually in person, we thank you for for being a part and for trusting us and for... For, uh, for being uh, cool about the, the new procedures, the new ways of worshiping together uh, in this new world. Uh, it's a weird day, but we just thank you for being a part, a part of it. Um, this morning, I want us to look at Psalm 113. If you have your Bibles, I want to share a message entitled, Really Good News. Because we have a message that has really good implications, really, it's really amazing news. It's the greatest message you could ever hear. It's the greatest message on all of planet Earth, the message of Jesus Christ. And I want us all this morning to walk out of this church this morning with a burning fire in our hearts of the message of Jesus Christ and the greatness of that message, how good of news it is. We started this series last week entitled Authentic Fire, to push us as a church to press in for the authentic power of God in our day. And there's no, I mean, all the more in this hour, we need the authentic power of God, amen? I mean, in this, in this hour when, you know, according to the federal emergency hotline, you know, the suicide calls to the f- federal uh, emergency hotline is up 1,000% right now in the midst of this pandemic. According to the K- Kaiser Foundation, nearly half of all adults in America, say they have been mentally harmed by this current crisis. Like There is a longing in the human heart for something real, for something eternal, for something powerful, and the church needs to rise up. We need to, we need to press in and contend for the authentic power of God to be displayed in our world. So being that we're doing this series called Authentic Fire, I'm going to do another illustration with fire this morning. So I'm going to start a fire up on the stage. Kids, get ready. I'm going to start a fire... There it is. Isn't that awesome? Don't get too close. You may get burned. It's hot. It won't even stand up. There it is. Be amazed at the fire, folks. Be amazed by its beauty. Be amazed by its heat and its power. But too often the church The church resorts to kind of these gimmicks and games to somehow impress the world outside. We say, come be impressed by our buildings, be impressed by our music, be impressed by our programs, by our celebrity speakers. And then then the, the needy, the broken, the lost, the hurting, they come into our four walls and they realize, oh, it's a fake. There's nothing real about it. There's no authentic power that translates to our life. There's no relevant power that means anything for the hurt, hurt and the brokenness in their lives. And so in this world, we need the authentic fire of God. We don't need more gimmicks and more games, more celebrities. We need the power of God to show up in our city. That means something to a world desperately in need. So sorry, kids, no real fire today. The first kid to come grab this can have it, so... Let's look at Psalm 113. This is really, really good news this morning that I want us to press into. It's such, it's the best news you'll ever ever hear. Right here, Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash sheep to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, this one who is far above anything you can set your eyes on on this planet. Better, better than any material belongings, better than any riches, better than any fame, position, anything that we can acquire in this world. He is high above it all, above all nations, above all power. It's Jesus. It's King Jesus. It's the greatest message you'll ever hear. And it's this King Jesus is the one who comes and he lifts the, the, the poor from the dust, he lifts the needy from the ash heaps. he places them with princes. He's the one who takes the barren woman and he places her, this lonely one, in a family, in a place of belonging. That is King Jesus. It's the best message you'll ever hear. It's the message this world needs to hear. So this morning I'm going to accomplish, I want to accomplish two things. One, I want, I want us all to leave this place, and this is where I'm going to end. I'm going to, I want us to leave with this burning sense of the greatness of this message that we carry in Jesus Christ. But before I do that, I want to expose an error that has run rampant in the church over the last 50 or 60 years, which is the prosperity gospel. It's this false gospel, this false message of error that has run rampant, uh, stemming from the West, and now it's spread across the globe, which is an error of extremes and a false message. Um, and this is the prosperity gospel. I want to first expose it, and then I want to press us into the authentic power of God. Because a lot of errors that we'll explore over the next several weeks are really errors of extremes. They're errors that, that they, they stem out of some baseline truth, some baseline, uh, real, uh, rooted, grounded truth in the gospel. And it's people that take them to extremes for their own self, um, self-glory and for, for their own selfish means. So what is the prosperity gospel? I want to expose it. The prosperity gospel or the health and wealth gospel is a message that proclaims that health and wealth are the byproducts of faith in Jesus Christ. And they, became, they become the focus. Health and wealth become the focus of this false message. And slowly but surely as you submit yourself to this message, you become the center of this gospel. You become the, the focus, the focal point. I want to expose this through a few common beliefs, a few common principles that, are, um, that exist within this message. But here's, here's a quick caveat. Some people call out the prosperity gospel by, um, by using certain common famous preachers' names, and they like to uh, trash these ministries publicly. I, I don't like to take that approach. I really don't, because I feel like it does two things. One is it stirs up division in the church unnecessarily. And secondly, I feel like it actually short-circuits the process or the the ability for believers to press in and discern for themselves. It actually short-circuits that and just starts. we all just start flinging mud at each other and throwing broad-brush labels over people rather than pressing in and listening to what's being said and then going back to Scripture and searching it out for ourselves, measuring it against the the measuring rod of God's Word. So I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to um, call out um, any famous celebrity preachers. You can do that for yourself. Discern the message that they're preaching. Does it line up with the fullness of the gospel? And does the fruit of their lives, does it line up with the, the fruit of the gospel? So here are some main tenets within the prosperity gospel. Another difficulty about actually naming names is th- it's not, this is not like a robust, um, clean-cut system of beliefs. It's a, an amalgam of, uh, of beliefs that have evolved over the decades so, one common tenet is the focus on financial gain. So, this is the truth about the gospel. I want to expose the prosperity gospel. First is this. The gospel is not a message of financial gain. That is not the, the focus of the message of Jesus Christ is financial gain, increasing your net worth, uh, you making uh, money on, as a result of following Jesus. There are no promises that result in a form, formula for financial gain, Okay? God is not a slot machine in the sky, you put money in and you'll get something out. There's no formula. You know, in Malachi 3, in, in Malachi 3, when the prophet Malachi calls out the nation of Israel for not tithing, he says, I'm gonna, I mean, God's gonna open up the, the storerooms of heaven, the windows of heaven, and pour out blessing on you. That's not a promise as in terms of a, a formula that, that means you put in so much and you're gonna get out so much. The blessings of God are tangible, they're real. We're going to talk about that this morning, but it's not a formula and it's not a way of getting rich. The blessings of God are real, it's a promise, but it's not a formula. And just because you tithe doesn't mean you're going to be rich, it means you're going to be blessed. When Jesus talks about sowing and reaping in the kingdom, and he talks about when you sow on a good soil, you get a hundredfold return. Sorry to break it to you, that is not a formula. Just because you sow in $10 to Life point Church does not mean you're going to get $100 in return. You'll be blessed and you will reap bountifully, but it's not through some slick formula. There's no financial formula hidden within the good news of Jesus Christ, okay? The gospel is not a message of financial gain. Second is the gospel is not a tool for disguising greed. We should never use the things of God to disguise our own selfish indulgences. And this has become a black mark on the Western church because so many people have hijacked the message of Jesus for their own self-interest and their own self, um, self, selfish indulgences. We should not be known for wasteful excess, but instead our sacrificial love. Third is this, healing is never a financial transaction. If you hear a TV preacher say, if you give to our ministry, you'll be healed of cancer, you know, run for the hills. Jesus is available, call out to him. His healing is available to you. And some of these same preachers, they are anointed by the Lord, and God may use them, but he uses them, he uses them despite them. And they've cheapened the gifts of God to the mere stuff of this world. And it's, ab- it's an abomination. It's an abhorrent error. They become peddlers of God's word. So healing is never a financial transaction. And here at LifePoint, we'll never ever a thousand years do that. Fourth is this, the gospel does not free us from suffering in this world. This is a subtle message within the prosperity gospel that says, if you follow Jesus, you'll also gain a life of ease. Life will just be great for you. Follow me, my life is amazing. Come follow Jesus and your life as well can be amazing and great and easy. And actually, if you encounter any sort of difficulty or trials, it's probably because of your lack of faith some lack on your end, and it becomes the age-old story of Job. God does not promise us ease. Trials are not a sign of lack of faith. and We'll we'll talk about suffering this morning, and there is great news for our suffering that we'll talk about this morning. But to summarize all of this, this prosperity message is a me-centered gospel. It's a gospel centered on me having a better life now, me accumulating stuff, me experiencing more ease, receiving blessing, and that is a misunderstanding at best or in a completely different gospel at worst. I would say it's the, it's the age-old sin that we saw with Lucifer himself when he began to have more affection for himself and he got puffed up. And God kicked him out of heaven. Jesus talks about that day in Luke chapter 10. He said, I saw Satan falling lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That was when disciples came to Jesus, and they were so excited that they had this authority. They had this blessing. They had this gift to now cast out demons. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in the gifts or the blessings that I've given you you know, rejoice in the fact that you have a relationship with the Father. You're, you're brought into right relationship with God. We rejoice in that. And from that place, yes, there's authority. Yes, there's blessings. But we don't rejoice in those things. That is that age-old sin that Lucifer himself fell into. And that, that at the heart of the prosperity gospel is that, that me-centered message. So I want us to now about face and turn towards what makes this message, the actual authentic fire of God, the authentic message of Jesus, such great news. Because I would say in our modern day, as many speakers, uh, many leaders, many pastors have spoken out against the prosperity gospel, they've actually fallen short to actually then talk about what the the good news of Jesus is. And so what has happened is many have adopted then a, a gospel message of lack and of insufficiency and where we're just supposed to wallow in our suffering and just kind of survive, eke out our existence on this planet. And it becomes a message and an existence, a lifestyle of lack, of poverty. And that's not the message of Jesus either. If you remember the guardrails that we set up last week as we kicked off this series, it was Jesus is our affection, Jesus is our example. Those are the guardrails that we're going to use to, to guide us through these issues that we talk about in these coming weeks, these, these errors, these extremes, the weird stuff that's infiltrated the church. But if we keep Jesus as our affection and Jesus as our example, things become much more clear then. It becomes much easier for us to discern. So in this, on this topic, on this issue of finances, material things... We keep Jesus as our affection. He is our one heart's desire. Anytime money becomes the desire of our heart, anytime material belongings become the desire of our hearts, we're starting to to fall into that trap. We say, Jesus, you're our affection. You're our one heart's desire. Jesus is also our example. In terms of his contentment, in terms of his trust in the Father, in terms of his security, he was the richest man to ever walk the earth. He never knew worry like we know worry. In terms of his meekness, in terms of his ability to connect with the lowly, he had no problem being associated with the poor. Jesus is our example. He's our affection and he is our example. And so there's, there's two common errors that we'll, we'll hit on over the next several weeks, but I'll highlight them this morning the first error in the prosperity gospel is one of the clearest examples of the first type of error, which is an error of extremes. They take one baseline truth that's actually in the gospel and they take it to a born end. They take it to an extreme. It just becomes an abomination to the name of God. And so we'll look at some of the promises of God this morning, promises of God's provision and his blessing, the results of following Jesus, and they take them for their own self-interest and their own, in, their own um, selfish desires. But, you know, almost equal to that error is this reactive error, which is then embracing another gospel, uh, an error of a different type, by just taking out the, the goodness of the message of Jesus and embracing a gospel of lack. Embracing this, this idea of existence on this planet, which is mere survival. A common example of that is, I mean, is, is in this message of regarding finances and the blessings of God, people adopt a, a poverty mentality. But as we explore the, the topic of healing, many people just throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to he, healing because there's been so much error and weirdness and extremes. That instead, they, they embrace this reactive error, which is an error of a different type. This is what C.S. Lewis, these are not my original thoughts, this is really C.S. Lewis a brilliant philosopher, he said, He the devil always sends errors into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. He relies on your extra dislike of one to draw you gradually into the opposite one. But do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and, great, and go straight through between both errors. We have no other concern than that with either of them. And A.W. Tozer said it similarly Truth that is not experienced is no better than error and may be fully as dangerous. So, when it comes to the authentic fire of God, like the fullness of the message, the full gospel, especially as you read into the New Testament, the coming of Jesus and what he demonstrates to the world, so many people throw out the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the power of God being displayed in this world simply because some have abused it. And so what they end up doing is we're driving down the road and we begin to swerve off the road. We overcorrect and you go flying into the ditch in the other direction. And many in the West, especially, they've adopted this reactive error, which is an overcorrection. And we throw out healing. We throw out miracles. We throw out signs and wonders. We throw out any sort of understanding of the blessings of God because of the errors of extremes of others. So I want to be clear the prosperity gospel is abhorrent, it's an abominable, me- abominable message, and I pray for discernment upon you, as it's common that when you hear it, your ears will perk up, that there'll be that red flag, you'll like, whoa, 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 that's, that's not the message of Jesus. But at the same time, I want to make clear that the good news of Jesus is really good, and we don't have to be shy about that. We have really good news, and I want to proclaim that this morning. We have really good news in Jesus, firstly, because we have a promise of God's provision. In regards to finances, we have a promise of God's provision. This is not a formula, it's not a promise of a certain ROI. There's no scheme to it, there's no cheap gimmick to it. It's the simple promise of God's provision for our needs financially, materially, what we need in this world. He's a good father. And so, just dial back the gospel. Central to it is this message of adoption. We're born in this world as orphans. We do not belong. God himself makes a way for us to be adopted into the family of God. So when you place your faith in Jesus, you're adopted into the family of God. And this good, generous, more than able father takes care of his children. Jesus points us to that day in Matthew chapter six. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You will have enough. God will provide for you what you need. He's a good father. He's a generous father. And I'm not shy about that in the least bit. He is a good father that will take care of his children, his sons and daughters. I believe one of the most beautiful examples of this in the 19th century was George Mueller. Me and my son recently read his biography. And I love his story. He actually went into the ministry in Prussia with before he even knew Jesus, because he had a desire for, in his culture, the kind of the, the fame or the accolades and, and the wealth that came along with clergy, being, being in the ministry. He's like, hey, that's like a respected profession. They have good income. I'm going to be a minister. That's George Mueller. Until he encounters Jesus, and he realized how lost he was, and he surrenders himself to the Lord, and, and he goes on this radical adventure of faith. And he becomes this beautiful hero of the faith in the 19th century of sacrificially loving the orphans of Bristol, England. It's said that he served over 100,000 orphans in his life. He traveled over 200,000 miles around the globe proclaiming before, before airlines, proclaiming the love of Jesus around the planet. And so this man who at one time had greed and money as his main pursuit he encountered Jesus and he learned how to sacrificially serve others. And in the midst of that, he encountered the generous heart of God. And this is what George Mueller said. He said, be assured, if you will walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you. And so George Mueller became famous for, for never asking for donations, never soliciting support from donors. He trusted God. And story after story after story in his biography are an envelope showing up just on the day he needs to pay the bills. A property being given for him to then open up another orphanage for more orphans. Time and time again, he saw God's miraculous provision. So he's not talking in theory. He's like taking God at his word. He's allowing the authentic fire of God to be displayed in his generation. This is what uh, George Miller also said this. Every child of God is not called by the Lord to establish schools and orphan houses and to trust the Lord, uh, trust in the Lord for means for them. So he didn't, he didn't use his life example as a to to beat over the heads of people in condemnation but he said this he still says this yet there is no reason why you may not experience far more abundantly than we do now his willingness to answer the prayers of his children it's like just test God just step out and believe that God is an able provider for you he is so generous he's so good and he more than willingly provides for his kids you know, in a former life, you know, 10 years ago, I was a nuclear engineer. And I remember a week after I put in my notice with my supervisor, my supervisor pulled me into his office and he pulled out the pay schedule. and He said, hey, Drew, I just want you to look at this. I want you to make sure you understand what you're doing. This is, this is the amount of money you're going to be making. I just, you know, become a, uh, a journeyman in, uh, nuclear engineer at that point. So, you know, worked for three years to get through all the qualifications. I was a journeyman nuclear engineer. And he said, Drew, this is the, the pay schedule that you should expect. Are you sure you want to step away from this and go into the ministry? And I said, Yeah, I know, I'm confident about it. I'm, I'm going to go for it. And honestly, there was never a, there was never a check in my heart, never, never a doubt. And I've seen time and time again God's generous provision over my life vehicles given to us, the envelope in the mail, miracle, over and over and over again. I've never worried about the finances. God is more than generous. He's more than able. God's blessed us. And even the longer I live on this earth and the more saints that have walked with God longer than I, the more and more I hear that testimony of God's miraculous provision. God is able to provide for you, his kids. And I'm not shy about that. Second is this. We have really good news because we have a freedom from other masters. The gospel cuts right to the heart. And it's so interesting, when we talk about money, how the matters of the heart start to to bubble up, they begin to rise up. We all kind of get on edge when we talk about money. There's nothing more revealing about the heart. Maybe Maybe words are maybe more revealing of the heart, but second to words is probably money. Because it's so easy for the enemy to use greed and selfishness and money to just be a master over us. But the gospel speaks a better word, and it's freedom from all other masters. Jesus calls us to repent, to turn to him, to turn our affection, our attention, our allegiance to King Jesus. So he offers us another master. His name is King Jesus. He's a good master. The gospel adopts us into a family where we're set free from the bondage of money. Doesn't that sound good? Can I just reveal this to you, that greed and the lord of money is not a respecter of net worth. We oftentimes think that. It's just the rich that struggle with greed, but reality is circumstances reveal that even the poorest of the poor can have that greedy sense in their hearts. They just haven't been given the same opportunities. The rich and the poor alike fall prey to the master of greed it's not a matter of net worth for some it's greed and gluttony for others it's constant insecurity envy and desire you know desiring uh, coveting what other people have but Jesus reveals to us profoundly that we cannot serve two masters in the prime example he uses is God and money he gives us a way out he calls, he calls it like it is. He says, come and follow me. He beckons us to come and follow him as King Jesus. Regardless of your net worth, come and submit yourself to King Jesus. And it's in that place that he more, more, than, more than sufficiently provides. God frees us up to be in this place of restful trust, to be in this place of abiding in, in the freedom of knowing that he is more than enough. God will give us everything we need. The key word there is need, not want, okay? He will give you everything you need. Robert Morris says it like this, that we're tested in our need and we're tested in our greed. The need test comes when we have to trust God to be our sufficiency. The greed test comes when we move from sufficiency to, abundance. So both tests reveal our heart. Who is our master? Jesus gives us a way out for us to submit ourselves to King Jesus. Third is this. We have really good news because we have a message of healing. I am not shy about that. We're going to spend an entire week talking about the gospel of healing, meaning that Jesus came to reveal the heart of the Father to be a God that heals, Yahweh Rapha, the God that heals. So I'm not going to allow the error of some prosperity preachers to hijack that part of the gospel. It's so so much a major aspect of Jesus' ministry. It's so much a, a heart of a major heart of the way God revealed Himself to Israel. So we'll talk. We'll spend a whole message talking about that. But if you just Imagine me being lost on a, uh, put on a deserted island somewhere, never having heard the name of Jesus, never having uh, known about Christianity, and I was given a Bible, and I studied it for myself for for the first time, from beginning to end, I would quickly realize, oh, God wanted to reveal himself to Israel as God, your healer, as Yahweh Rapha. As we see then Jesus step onto the planet, we'd see that he confirmed that, and he himself wanted to reveal, reveal himself as Israel's healer. And then he opened up the floodgates, and he revealed even non-Israelites, Gentiles alike. And then he commissioned his followers to go and do the same. It was like, there's no, there's no arguing with it. The message of healing is through and through part of the message of Christianity. Matthew chapter 8, this picture of Jesus, says, "...that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick." This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Mark chapter 16, when he sends out the disciples, he says, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. James chapter 5, the clear command. Is any one of you sick? Let him call the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. That is the message of healing, which is Christianity. That is what it means to follow Jesus, that we are, we are simply kids that believe in the Father's ability to heal us. This cannot be downplayed. It cannot be avoided because of the mistakes or errors of others. And we're going to continue to believe this. We're going to continue to press in for this profound truth to be displayed in our day in the 21st century in Ames, Iowa. That's our heart. See that major neglected aspect of the gospel displayed and manifest in real power in our city. Fourth is this. We have really good news because we have grace to be overcomers. We are called to be ones who endure suffering. So that doesn't mean we wallow in our suffering like this orphan child that this is just our lot in life, like we're left to fend for ourselves. We don't embrace suffering as judgment or the wrath of God. Now that was fully taken on Jesus for us. But instead, we press into the reward of suffering. We walk into suffering with joy, for the joy set before us. There's this example of Jesus that we have to endure suffering for the sake of the reward that follows. So I want to reveal. To you, I'm going to ask the worship team to come in closing, but I. As I kind of finish up here, I want to reveal three specific types of suffering that hopefully will bring some clarity to this. Because most of the time in the West, I'll just be clear. Most of the time in the West, when we think of suffering, we think of sickness. That's what we think of. But in the, the, the great, great, great majority of suffering that we read about in the New Testament is not sickness. And so there's three types of suffering that I want to highlight. First is Persecution the number one type of suffering that we read about in the New Testament is persecution. A type of suffering that we are largely oblivious to or largely unfamiliar with in the West. James chapter one says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various various kinds. First Peter five says, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. And time and time again, the the calls for the grace of God for in the midst of suffering is in regards to persecution. Second is another type of suffering that we're largely oblivious to in the West, which is suffering from spiritual attack. We are, we are so much like in the West, left-brain, you know, measurable, science-driven people. And so we, we have no realm of thinking in regards to the spiritual realm, which is a reality as you read. In the New Testament. But suffering can be spiritual attack. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So so far in the Western church, we're 0 for two in understanding suffering. We think of suffering, we're like, I gotta embrace my struggle with migraines or sleepless nights or cancer. But so far. That's, that's not another suffering that we've, we've discovered in the New Testament. It's persecution for following Jesus, which is our promise. We're going to receive persecution for following Jesus. And the second is spiritual attack. The third type of suffering we read about in the New Testament is suffering can be the consequence of, of the curse. The ripple effect that took place after the, the, the fall of mankind but as we look to Jesus, we see, we see one who took on the curse for us. So we have this advocate, this one who, who went and he took upon himself the payment for the curse. So we see this ripple effect that took place in Genesis 3. It says, cursed after Adam and Eve sinned, God spoke to Adam and he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. That's what was spoken over Adam because of his willful rebellion against God. You will experience pain. It's pain as a result of the curse. We look upon Jesus as this lamb who is slain to take our place, to take the payment for that curse. So we have this victor. We have this one who redeems us from the curse. So in the midst of suffering, sometimes it's Grace to endure persecution or trials, tribulations, spiritual attack. Sometimes it's miraculous breakthrough, revealing his victory over the curse. If everyone would stand in this place, I knew I flew through a lot this morning. But I want to bring us to a response, to respond to Jesus. I'm believing for a fresh wave of believers in our country in our region, in Ames, that believe the the full gospel and really believe that it's good news. And so for far too long, you know, over the last 50, 60 years, the the way of life for the church has been, hey, world, come and see. Come and see our fire. It's really amazing. It will impress you. But the thrust of the New Testament is go and tell. It's we've been so wrecked, so... So changed, so transformed by the, this radically good news that we have to go and tell people about it. And so I'm praying for a fresh wave of believers that believe in the full gospel. They believe in this one who takes the, the poor from the dust, that, that takes the, the needy from the ash sheep and places them with princes, takes the lonely, the barren mother, and places them in belonging in, in a home and a family. That's the message of the good news. It's amazingly good news. So two things I want us to do this morning in response. I want to give us an opportunity to to repent from any, any, um, you know, falling prey to that me-centered gospel. If that exists in any one of our hearts, I want to give us an opportunity to respond. And then secondly, I want to give an opportunity to anybody joining us online or joining us in person that needs to um, make a commitment to follow Jesus for themselves they need to surrender their lives to Christ so would you close your eyes and bow your heads across this place or would you just search your own heart like I said at the beginning I, I don't like some of the broad brush use of prosperity gospel in that it gives us an easy out from really just searching our own hearts for any of the, the subtleties of the message that we've allowed to creep into our hearts the message of greed, the message of serving self-interest, any way in which you've fallen prey to excess, any any way in which you've been embittered to misunderstanding the the character of God in the midst of suffering. Maybe life's been really difficult for you. It's been hard for you to see God as good father is more than able to see you through. Would you just take a moment right now just to repent of any of that me-centered gospel that you've allowed into your heart? You are our one affection, you are one heart's desire. And Lord, I know in this materialistic age it's so easy to get drawn into the accumulation of things. And if there's a message that makes space for that, it can be alluring. And we just repent of that right now. We don't follow you for what you give to us materially or financially. We, we serve you and we follow you because you're our only hope, because you're King Jesus, because you've revealed yourself as creator, as the one who gives us purpose. You are our reason for being. We just proclaim that as a church family this morning. We repent of, Lord, any, any waffling from that, that one affection. We desire for the message of Jesus, your good news to be burning so brightly in this house, in this family. It's undeniable to the world around us that it's radically good news for the poor, for the hurting, for the broken, for the needy, for the lonely, for the depressed, for the sick. It's really good news. That's what we read about in the New Testament. So that's what we want, God. We want the authentic authentic fire of God in our day secondly if you're with us this morning either in person or online and you need to surrender your life to Christ you want to make a commitment to follow Jesus if, if you're here in person and that's you I'd love to, for you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for if you're, if you're online with us we'd love for you to reach out and let us know that you prayed this prayer so we can follow up with you and just help you in your walk with Jesus. But if that's you in this place, would you just raise your hand so I can pray a prayer with you? Awesome. Praise God. So if you raise your hand or if you are joining us online and you want to surrender your life to Christ, to King Jesus, you want this new master in your life, pray a prayer like this from your own heart. Lord, this morning I come to an end of myself no turning back. I realize that I cannot clean my life up. I cannot, I don't have any answers for my sin issues. You are my only hope. So I look to you, King Jesus. I thank you that this good news has been revealed to me. It means something for my life now and the eternity to come. I surrender my life fully to you, no turning back mighty name, amen. Amen. Can we give a hand to those that prayed that prayer? And <laughs> It's the best decision you'll ever make. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at LiveTheMessage.org.